0: Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneur's Podcast, episode 28. My name is Alina Warwick, and I'm super excited to chat with Nirit Rubenstein about her journey to success. Nirit immigrated with her family from Israel when she was very young, and her parents only had $500 in their pockets when they came. Although she practically grew up in the United States, Although she practically grew up in the United States, she always had a special spot in her heart for Israel. In this episode, she shares how she ended up going back to Israel to serve in the Israeli Air Force and how that experience helped her in the entrepreneurial journey. Not only did she serve in the military in Israel, but she also attended a college there to obtain her bachelor's degree in business and economics. She launched her credit repair company, Devly, when she had three kids and at the age of 41. She's a true inspiration to many women entrepreneurs and immigrants as well. So let's dive right in and hear all about her exciting journey. So Nirid, thank you so, so much for coming onto the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time and I'm so honored to share your story with the world. So how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. So
0: let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States?
1: So I was actually born in Israel and when I was four, my family migrated to San Diego, California, and lived there for about 14 years, and then moved back to Israel at the age of 18 to serve in the army. And I went to college out there, and I ended up living there for about eight years before relocating back to the US.
0: So although you were not living in, the,
1: in Israel, you had to serve in the army at 18? I didn't have to. I wanted to. Uh, oh, okay. Obviously, Israel is a huge part of my heritage and my culture, and I'd never lived there as an adult. So I figured if I'm ever going to want to live there as an adult, being in the army is such a big part of the culture there that it's probably something that I should do. And I decided to go and volunteer and serve my two years. I gave up on the opportunity to go to top-notch colleges in the U.S. on scholarship in order to do that.
0: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And so for the listeners that don't know, I know when I was in Israel, in the Israel army, you have to serve for two years, regardless if you're a male or female. Is that right?
1: Well, it's actually two years for women and three for men. Oh got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. So just because you're female does not excuse you from serving at the army. No, nope.
1: no. Nope. It's still very much part of the culture and the life in Israel and what you do when you work when you live there.
0: So what part of the army branch did you serve?
1: I was in the Air Force. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And so what what was it like transitioning from growing up in San Diego, living here for most of your early adulthood life to going back to Israel. What was that transition like?
1: Uh, it was really hard. I mean, I was definitely at that point an American. I mean, Israel was a huge, huge part of who I am. My parents are Israeli. We spoke Hebrew at home. My parents refused to talk to us in, in English when we tried to speak with them in English. And all of my visits had just been visiting there and going to see family. I'd never lived there. And so I would say a pretty big culture shock to go from kind of the calm and respectful culture of the U.S. and move to a place like Israel where it's just very intense lifestyle to live there. Very intense day to day. So it was it was a pretty big culture shock.
0: Were you there at all when some of the bombings were happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was there from 94 until 2002. So yeah, there were definitely some kind of suicide attempts and bombings and, that were happening at that time.
0: And, and 94
1: did, was really the, the, there was a lot of it then.
0: And what what were your emotions at that point? Did you want to quit and go back home?
1: No, never. It, it, it's such a resilient culture. I think it speaks a lot to being an entrepreneur. It just makes you want to fight harder. Like when you feel like someone is trying to eliminate your entire you know, country and uh, is challenging who you are as, as a race, it makes you want to fight even h- harder to fight that.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about the struggles, if you remember, Annie, when you first immigrated at four years old. And I know I came here at four years old with my family, too, from Russia. So I want to hear your side.
1: Yeah, yeah, we actually have, when I was reading your profile, a lot of different things in common. So for me, you know, we came to the U.S. My mom was nine months pregnant with her fourth child. Oh wow! uh, yeah, so my parents didn't speak any English and they came to the US with $500 cash in their pocket. And my dad was a very talented uh, electrical engineer who could pretty much fix anything, but he had a really hard time finding a job. He also had a hard time running an apartment, getting a credit card, doing all of those things because he didn't have an established credit score, which is, we can kind of talk about how I'm now in that field. But So, you know, my parents struggled a lot. I mean, I don't know that I appreciated how much they struggled. Now I hear my mom talking a lot about how, you know, once a month we would get McDonald's and that was like the big treat of the, of of the month and a lot of hand-me-down clothes and she would buy chicken that was really kind of gross. And she spent hours cleaning it before she cooked it. And you know, my mom talks a lot about the challenges. I, being four, didn't really appreciate any of those. And then my dad eventually couldn't find a job. I couldn't find anyone to kind of give him a chance. So he ended up going to an electric uh, repair shop and telling them, I'll work for free for two weeks. Then if I can't do the job, then just don't pay me. And he ended up being their top technician and eventually taking over the business. In the end, that was kind of what had made my dad. Very well off financially, was assuming that business and growing it. And my dad's a, been an entrepreneur my whole life.
0: And what about your mom?
1: My mom is a, she's always been a teacher, so she okay. had her own daycare in Israel. And then when she came here, she worked as a teacher for a variety of different daycares. But she was she was basically a homemaker for most of the time when we were in the U- U.S.
0: And where did you end up picking up English? Where, was it similar to? Oh, my parents dropped us off at grade school
1: and said, all right, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Just <you> uh, <laughs> exactly that. So I was not old enough to be in kindergarten. I, I missed the cutoff. I'm a December baby. Okay. So my birthday is 12, 12. And so my dad deleted the two and made it January of the same year and essentially making me 11 months and, and 30 days older than I was and put me in kindergarten because, Kindergarten is public and you don't have to pay for it, whereas preschool you have to pay for. And so I remember being in kindergarten and not understanding a word of English. And I remember the kids laughing at me because, uh, you know, to me, they were like speaking Japanese. I didn't understand what they were saying. And I remember just kind of being like, why are why are people laughing at me?
0: I remember the times where we were bullied because we would be walking home from school. We were like right around the corner from the school. So we would walk home and a lot of times we would just run home because we knew these kids were going to be outside waiting for us to bully us because we had, you know, broken English and yeah, like you, we had no idea what's going on, <laughs> but it taught us a lot of lessons. So I'm glad that we went through that. Nirit, before you tell our listeners about your company, tell me a little bit about the path you took. And did you try to go into any other fields before starting your business?
1: Yeah, I actually was fairly industry agnostic, but very lucky. I've worked for really, really good companies. And I've tried a variety of different roles within those companies, but it has really turned me into an overall general manager that knows how to Handle a variety of different kind of responsibilities within an organization. And so I started my career at Amdocs, which is a large tech company in Israel. They relocated me to San Jose when they bought a small CRM company. And I got recruited by Salesforce pre IPO. And that to date is by far the best company I've ever worked for. I was there for five years. And then I went to business school and transitioned into consumer packaged goods marketing and then worked for, at the time, Delmani Foods. They owned Meowmix and kibbles and bits and milkbone. And I worked on some really big brands. And then I moved to LA after having my second child to be closer to my parents who had moved back from Israel to LA and moved to LA and took a job with Green Dot, which is a large prepaid debit card company and worked my way up to be an executive with that company. And then from there took a job being CEO of a private equity backed credit repair company. And that's kind of the impetus for Doubly. I took a small hiatus where I went to work for between the the CEO credit repair company and Dovely, which is the company I founded. I was recruited by one of our investors in that credit repair company to be chief operating officer of his much larger corporation called Nextiva. And that's what relocated me to Phoenix. But I realized about six months in that I was much more passionate about starting my own business. And I decided to leave that company and start Dovely.
0: So I have a few questions. So what did you study in school?
1: So uh, my undergrad, I did in business and economics at uh, Haifa University. And and then I went to business school and got my MBA.
0: Got it. Got it. So was there a point in your life where you were working at these corporate companies and you said, okay, I'm going to quit and start my own venture? Was there something that you can pinpoint to an experience or tell me a little bit about, about that?
1: I mean, I would say that I've always wanted, I've always had kind of that entrepreneurial drive and, mm-hmm. but I've been very risk averse. I think it's, a lot of it has to do with my parents need for security, not so much my own and always kind of driving me to be the, you know, take the job that is very secure and stable and high paying and high profile. And and that's really what I've been doing most of my career. And so it it took meeting a certain person in my life who I think got me to take the plunge and really believe in myself. And I've always wanted to do it, but it kind of took someone telling me like this is your time that you know go and it's it's more complicated than that. It wasn't just them telling me this is your time. It it yeah. was also, you know, someone who had gotten to know me very well, who kind of understood what drove me and was working with me for a long time as an executive coach. And so it was definitely an evolution, but it's something that I've always known that i wanted to do, but I was scared because it was, you know, I was always making really, really good money and it took a lot to walk away from that. Especially, you know, when I did, which is having three kids and big mortgage and all the things that come with, with that.
0: And did you start your business on the side or did you just quit and then just go full force?
1: Yeah, I quit and went full force. Uh, I was gonna my my co-founder and I were gonna start the business after the credit repair company, but that's when I got very aggressively recruited to be the chief operating officer and had a lot of money thrown my way, and eventually, uh, kind of was drawn to that offer. And I called my uh, my co-founder about six months in, and I said, "Hey, I think I made a mistake. I'm tempted to start the company." And he said, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it." So. We went all in, that was April 2018, and we've never looked back.
0: Awesome. I love that. I love it. So, tell us a little bit more about Dobley and what you guys do.
1: So, Dobley is the first fully automated credit repair platform that is based on a very sophisticated algorithm that's proven to improve credit scores. So, we've developed an algorithm that looks at countless different factors and automatically creates a custom dispute plan for each individual with all three credit bureaus. So we work with the credit bureaus to remove items from your credit that are weighing down your score and it's all automated.
0: Okay. So this is for like anyone that comes to looking for a credit repair service and you guys are the very first point in contact?
1: Well, about 70% of the U.S. population need need the service. So it's a major problem in the United States. There's lots of errors and inaccuracies and items on people's credit that weigh down their score. And when you don't have credit, then it becomes very difficult to do anything. You can't get an apartment. You can't rent a house. You can't buy a car. You can't get a cell phone. So your credit score is, is a very important factor in your financial well-being, but at the same time, you know, the system is very flawed and there's a lot of issues and errors with the data. And the credit bureaus don't really take the time to correct those issues because we're not the end user. The end user is the companies they're selling the data to. And so there's a disconnect between us as the individual where the score is so detrimental to our life. At the same time, the credit bureaus don't really care about us as individuals and are making a lot of money selling our data, whether it's accurate or not. So So for us, it's about really being the first forward-thinking company that puts the consumer at the heart of what we do. So there's a lot of credit repair companies out there, but they're all call center-based with very aggressive call center agents, locking you into very exorbitant monthly fees on average, $100 to $150 a month. And they're not not effective at all. They actually hurt you oftentimes Mm -hmm. more than they help you. So for us, yeah, it's a much more... Uh, tactical, scientific approach to the process. I mean, we view ourselves first and foremost as a software company and second as as a credit repair company.
0: Yeah. It seems like you guys are providing a, a more of a human approach than than calling through a call center. <laughs> so I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I feel like, well, I hear a lot of people when they want to fix something on their credit reports and they contact all these companies, there's absolutely no response for it months and months until you get a hold of someone to get something fixed or corrected. And is that still the case? Is that where you guys kind of like pick up the tab on that and get instantaneous results?
1: So it's not instantaneous. There's nothing instantaneous <laughs> about credit. It's a lot it's quicker most, for sure. It's the most efficient you'll find for sure, but we so the the way that it works if you're trying to improve your credit on your own you really have to know how to navigate the system. You have to know how to use the the laws in your favor in order to get the credit bureaus and creditors to do what you need them to do. And consumers don't often know how to do that. And so the problem is there's three different bureaus, there's hundreds, if not thousands of creditors. There's a lot of different factors that go into the mix. And so our algorithm, you come to our site, we pull your credit, we show you all of the negative items weighing down your score. You tell us which ones you want us to dispute. And then our algorithm is determining okay, you've selected 10 items. Which ones are the ones that are going to be the most impactful for your credit? Which items do we pair together to get the best effectiveness? There's 32 different trade lines, are, uh, parameters within each trade line. So a trade line could be like your mortgage or your credit card, and one of your credit cards. So all 32 of those parameters need to be accurate in order for that to remain on your credit. So Knowing which one of those parameters to dispute, it's a pretty complicated process that the average consumer just doesn't know or understand and nor should they. I mean, you, you need to literally... My, my co-founder has been in the space for 20 years. So it's been a long time in the making to get to his institutional knowledge that we've really built the product on.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I had no idea. <laughs>
1: it's important
0: for us to know about our credit scores.
1: <laughs> for sure.
0: So, how old were you when you started your business?
1: So, it was about three years ago. So, I was 41.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And three kids.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Important to note that. <laughs> so, Niri, did you have to raise any capital to start your business?
1: Yeah. So, we've done a couple raises. I mean, we first bootstrapped it and put in our own money. And then we raised a pre seed round of $600,000. In August of last year, and then we ended up raising a seed round of 2 million of 2.3 million in May of this year. So, uh, so we, we've raised almost $3 million to date.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And any more to go or are you guys done?
1: Uh, it depends. I mean, we're definitely on that trajectory of kind of going out and getting our Series A another 9 to 12 months or maybe even longer, but it depends. If some of our partnerships end up materializing sooner rather than later, then we may not need to. So mm-hmm. it really just kind of depends on how our revenue and user base continues to grow.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Nuri, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business?
1: Um, I mean, I, I don't know if there's mentors to help me start the business. I think there are mentors that I've interacted with throughout my entire life that I think have inadvertently mentored me to start my business, right? I mean, first and foremost, being my father, who's an, a serial entrepreneur, and I've kind of seen him run businesses uh, since since I can remember. And I think a lot of it is just being... I've been in business for, in one capacity or another for over 20 years. And I've had the fortune of working with some really great leaders and seeing them and how they operate and how they think about the business. I've also run businesses myself from really small ones to really big ones that I think have helped me, you know, learning that on someone else's dime, if you will, because mm-hmm. I was working for a bigger company was definitely beneficial. And oftentimes I'm just blown away that these 20, 25-year-olds end up starting a business and being successful. Cause I feel like so much of what I know is is from. Years and years of being a manager and a leader myself, mm-hmm. so it's just an accumulation of knowledge and being involved with some really good people along the way.
0: So you've had invisible mentors; <laughs> they've been guiding you um, unintentionally, but you've been soaking it all in.
1: <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. And there are. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I really believe in networking. I think it's very important. I take the time to meet anybody who's willing to talk to me or anyone who wants me to mentor them because I just believe in paying it forward and I believe that you always always can learn something from from people and so it's definitely something that helps I take a lot of meetings and calls and ideas and talk to a lot of different people I mean now as a mentor as one of our advisors I meet with on a regular basis who's a great mentor and I also have an advisory board that we meet with that are phenomenal mentors so we've got a whole lineup now of people that can help us with various things that we need help with on the business.
0: Mm, I totally agree with that. Mentors help us in many, many ways. And we can't do this all by
1: ourselves, right? No, definitely
0: not. <laughs> so Neri, where do you think you got your entrepreneurial drive? I know that you've mentioned you kind of always had it at the back of your head, but then also you've had your father who was an entrepreneur as well. So you saw him, you know, take a volunteer job and then eventually taking um, ownership of that business. So where do you, where do you think you got that entrepreneurial drive from?
1: Definitely my dad. There's really no, there's no question about it. He has been, I mean, he's someone I look up to and admire and, you know, he's definitely one of my like idols and someone I'm always, my whole life have been trying to please and, and make yeah. proud of. And so, you know, seeing him and seeing his journey as an entrepreneur, and it's been second nature in my house since as long as I can remember. So it's definitely for my dad.
0: I love it. So I'm really interested to know how do you look at failures and how do you overcome them?
1: So I know it's cliche, and everyone, <laughs> has it, but it's true. It's really true. Like failures are where I've learned the most from. I actually really love to fail. I think. You learn a ton and it's when you fail more than once on the same thing that you need to be worried, you know, make, make the same mistake once, don't ever make it again. But every failure I've had in my life has pushed me to drive harder towards something else and has made me much better at whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And so, you know, I, I really, really do believe that failure is, is a blessing. I mean my mom says when one door closes two windows open right like it's not yeah. it's about being able to see the opportunity and knowing when to when to move on.
0: I absolutely love talking about failures because a lot of people see the positives of being an entrepreneur but they don't see the negatives and I love touching on the fact that hey failure in our lives, it's okay. It's okay to fail. And here's why. And you're just shown proof that you're excited about failing. Yeah. (laughs) So that's refreshing to hear. Thank you. (laughs) So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the successes. Are there any successes that you would like to outline from your immigrant entrepreneur journey?
1: Look, I think being both an immigrant and an Israeli has has given me a lot of my characteristic. Like, uh, is has really turned me into who I am today, which is someone who's super resilient and stubborn and resourceful <laughs> and scrappy and nimble, and all of those characteristics. That, regardless of whether I was running a, m- a multi-million dollar corporation or a small startup, these are all things that have come in handy. And so. I am relentless when it comes to business and financials. I am a huge consumer advocate. I, am, I know how to ask for what's mine, which especially for females, I think is really challenging. I may often see so many women kind of second guess themselves or not want to ask certain things. You know, a man will ask first and then kind of prove themselves, whereas women have to prove themselves and then ask for what they want. Mm. And it's it's just a very different kind of way of thinking. And I think that confidence and respect that I command has a lot to do with being an immigrant and being Israeli. It's a combination. But I can tell you, I love hiring immigrants. I just they're the best employees ever. Um, mm. they're so loyal, they're so hardworking, they're so not entitled, they're so humble no mm-hmm. ego, you know, th- that's the culture that we really strive for at Dudley, which is just like a flat organization, where we have a ton of respect for each other, a lot of camaraderie and teamwork, no egos, you know, hardworking, everyone rolls up their sleeves and does what's needed to be done, whether it's low level or high level. And a lot of those characteristics are present in immigrants. I
0: think immigrants bring a lot of different cultures together. And that's, so much diverse and, and brain power put into one room. That's fabulous. That's amazing. So looking back at your entrepreneur career and knowing what you know now, would you want to change anything or do anything differently?
1: No, I, I mean, I really wouldn't. I think everything I've done has led me to the point where I am today. Obviously, there are different Business things that we've done that were stupid that I wouldn't do again, but that you know as they pertain to running the business on a day to- day basis but in terms of major life decisions or career moves or you know when to start the business i I wouldn't change a thing I honestly wouldn't
0: so what are some business goals for you? What's next for you, say, for the next couple of years?
1: It's all about growing doubly. We really want to build a name for ourselves and change the industry as it stands today. And And our ultimate goal is to become a billion-dollar company and to do it within five years. That's the ultimate goal that's wow. driving us. Wow, that's getting, fabulous. Getting this in the hands of as many people as possible.
0: I'm sure you're going to 60 that goal. <laughs>
1: Amen.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> so is giving back either volunteering time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both Tedis and I are veterans, granted of different militaries. He's a Marine and I'm a Israeli army. And so in general, veterans are, ve- are very close to our hearts. I would say in the same way immigrants are, he's an immigrant too, by the way. And so we are looking to do programs where we provide Free services to vets, and in terms of give, giving back, I mean, honestly, that for me, it's it's I give back a lot of my time, and I I do as much as I can to mentor and coach women and entrepreneurs and business people in general, and that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time. And you know, in general, our business model is giving back to the people in need. I mean, that's the entire premise of our business. Is we launched a product earlier this year that we lose money on because we felt like with COVID, people needed the product more than ever. And so it's much more than just, oh, we're part of this program or part of that program. It's everything that we do as a business is all about taking care of people in need. Mm-hmm. So really in our DNA.
0: So has COVID affected you guys at, at any
1: point? Yeah, it did. It definitely affected us in the sense that, you know, not we we were a growing company. And we ended up having to hire people remotely, which was very difficult to build a culture. And then the other way that it impacted us from a business perspective is we, we decided to launch what is called Deadly Starter, which is our kind of leading product now has become one of our, our most popular products where we're giving this to people for the most affordable price that's ever existed in the marketplace. I mean, we did a Black Friday deal for $1.99 a month where you can repair your credit for $1.99 a month. So it's and it's completely unheard of. Practically free. <laughs> Practically free and and really that's what we're driving towards eventually. We hope to be free. And you know, in a lot of ways it it was making sure that our kind of employees were okay and they felt supported and they had the support network that they needed that we were able to still grow the company, that our customers, Felt like they had the resources they needed in order to navigate the situation. Sadly, I think the impact of COVID is going to be really, really big on our business because more and more people are going to need the service probably in the next year or two, especially with just where people's finances are going to be, as well as the rise in identity fraud. It's just, it's completely out of control right now what's going on on the internet. My identity was stolen last week. So it's, oh my it's goodness. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It, more and more people people are going to need the
0: service. Yeah. And I feel pandemic or, or no pandemic, we all need financial services. So yeah, for <laughs>
1: you're, sure.
0: you're, yeah you're, you're definitely in the right market out there and protecting the lives of the consumers. That's awesome. So what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business listening to you right now?
1: I mean, I think it's the same thing for any entrepreneur. I don't. I wouldn't say that it would be any different necessarily for an immigrant. If anything, I think immigrants have a leg up because of their resourceful, scrappy way of thinking. But the best kind of advice that I give people is to just go and just do it and never think that there's going to be a better time to do it. So in other words, it's kind of like having a baby or moving. There's never a good time. You just need to yeah. jump in and do it. uh, and have faith in yourself when everyone is going to tell you that your idea is not a good idea where how hard it is to start a business. It's hard. So expect it to be hard, but nothing in life that's good is easy. So, you know, you want something good, you got to work hard at it.
0: So, so powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I have some super, super fast questions for you to wrap it up. If you're okay with that. Sure. What time do you normally start your day? 5 a.m. How many employees do you have? 13. And how often do you watch TV in a week?
1: Mm, once <laughs> or twice.
0: Okay. And then how many hours of work do you normally put in, say, in a week?
1: 70, maybe. 70? Maybe. Okay. 80.
0: Yeah. I mean, on the weekends too, if you count the weekends. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So Niri, thank you so, so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. You are extremely passionate about the financial successes of all the consumers. And I truly believe that you will surpass all of your business goals. Thank you so much for sharing your inspirational story with us. Thank you. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I just wanted to ask if you can give me a quick shout out wherever you're at listening to this podcast. I'd love to give you a shout out as well on a future episode of mine. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur listening to this show and would love to be featured on my podcast, go ahead and email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.